Welcome to the Creative Conversations. In today's world of increasing intolerance, sometimes honest conversation between us is the only way forward. Voices Between, Stories Against Extremism, is an initiative of the Sweden-based nonprofit organization Stories for Society, which engages in transformational storytelling. The purpose of this initiative is to give rise to a force for peace by building a global network of established authors whose life stories, work, and commitments demonstrate and engage the impact of intolerance, extremism, and war. It is through the arts and our practice of rigorous and honest conversation that we can make a difference. This series records conversations between creatives for this purpose. I'm Rachel Kadish, and today I'm in the very unusual and very wonderful situation of being able to speak to someone, to two someones, who are of utmost importance to me. And yet, I have barely met you. Uh, I will start with introductions. Madoka Sugahara is the granddaughter of Kiyoni Sugahara and the daughter of Kiyoni's oldest son, Hiroki. She has served as the vice chairperson of the nonprofit organization Kiyoni Sugahara Visas for Life since 2012. Her elder brother, Chihiro, is the chairman. Kiyuna Sugahara Visas for Life conducts lectures and seminars throughout Japan in order to bring greater awareness to her grandfather's deeds. This nonprofit organization opened the Chiyuni Sugahara Senpo Museum in Tokyo in March this year, where they provided information and exhibits on the Holocaust and Chiyune's life. One of the highlights of their collection is Chiyuna's handwritten memoirs, which offer a unique perspective on the momentous, momentous events in Kaunas. Sitting here with Madoka is Madoka's daughter, Oriha. Oriha is Chiyuni's great-granddaughter. She appeared twice in a Japanese musical about Chiyuni's life called Senpo. Uh, she played his eldest son, uh, her own grandfather, Hiroki, when she was 12 years old. And when she was 17, she played a Jewish refugee. She received a BA in international education from Chiyune's alma mater, Waseda University, and is presently enrolled in a graduate program at Musashino Art University, specializing in imaging and science arts. Thank you two so much for making the effort to record this podcast with me. We're speaking across a few kinds of divides. I'm currently in Sweden for work with Voices Between Stories Against Extremism. You're in Japan. We're speaking across a time difference. Uh, we're uh, vaulting some technological barriers to make this podcast happen. And of course, the language gap. But our families are, have been separated by so many barriers. And yet there's something powerful that unites us. We often start these podcasts with a brief reading. And I'd like to start off with a few paragraphs from an essay that I wrote years ago. I won't read the whole essay because I, I really want to leave it to the two of you to explain, Madoka, what your grandfather and Oriha, what your great-grandfather did during mm -hmm. World War II that saved so many thousands of lives. So I'll just say before I start reading the essay, um, the essential fact is that to understand what I'm going to read is that without your grandfather's choice to act as he did, my grandparents would not have escaped Europe and most likely would not have survived the Holocaust. And uh, 
that means that my mother would never have been born and her sister and all of the other members of the family. I wouldn't be here. My children wouldn't be alive. So with that debt of gratitude in mind, I'm just going to start reading this essay. This is about the first time that Madoka that you and I met very briefly. Nearly 60 years after Sugihara issued his visas in Lithuania, my family received an invitation in the mail. Would we attend a reception at the Japanese embassy in Washington, D.C. to honor his family? A few months later, my mother, cousin, great-aunt, and I stood on a snaking reception line in the embassy's atrium, shuffling toward a diminutive, silver-haired woman clad in a pink kimono. She was Chiona Sugihara's widow, there to receive official recognition for all her husband had done and what her family had endured. Reasoning that my family and I were invited primarily to serve as symbols, I'd fretted inordinately that day over what to wear. While diplomats made speeches, we would provide photographers with a mute tableau of Sugihara's legacy. My role, I thought, was to make my appearance match the gravity of the occasion. I didn't expect any opportunity to speak with the Sugihara family. Only as we neared Mrs. Sugihara did it occur to me that we might indeed be able to speak to her, but I'd neglected to prepare the most important thing of all, the right words. Reaching the head of the line, my great-aunt Lily explained to Mrs. Sugihara through a translator that her late husband's visas had saved her at age 16. My great-aunt pointed to the rest of us one by one, daughter, niece, great-niece. We stood on display trying to look respectful, grateful, and friendly, and then our audience was finished. Just beyond Mrs. Sugihara, though, stood a woman roughly my age. She was Chiona Sugihara's granddaughter, and she spoke English. Suddenly she and I were face to face without anyone to intercede. I introduced myself. I said I was happy to meet her. I said something about gratitude and respect, and then I had no idea what else to say. The words thank you weren't big enough. This woman's family had hovered in my imagination all my life, characters in a fairy tale. I'd wondered about what Sugihara's heroism had meant for his family. I'd wondered, too, whether in moments of hardship they'd even wished that he'd kept the consulate's gate locked instead of offering to help. I'd have understood if they had. At a loss, and aware that I was standing there like a stalled engine, I asked Chiuna Sugihara's granddaughter what it was like to see her grandfather honored after so many years. He is my elder, she said. I respect him. After a moment, she added, he lives in my heart every day. And then the crowd separated us, releasing me into an eddy of people and photographers. On the flight home, our exchange gnawed at me. I knew I'd failed to find the right words of gratitude. Only as the plane descended into Boston did the right words come to me. It was too late to say them to Chioni Sugihara's granddaughter, but it wasn't too late to act. What I wanted to say was this. Your grandfather also lives in my heart every day. And if you and your family ever need safe haven, I'll turn my life upside down to provide it for you. But since it's unlikely you'll ever need my help, it's now my responsibility to recognize the people who do. I wrote that essay and it was published. And then somehow someone sent it to you. And I was so grateful that it connected us. 
um, and allowed us to have this conversation. Madoka, I wonder if you can start off by telling us the story of what your grandfather did during the war. And um, if I'm understanding right, Oriha is going to um, help with the translation and, and uh, speak. Yes, uh, Oriha can speak so our my grandfather's story. It's okay. okay. Wonderful. So I'm going to read answer your question and I'm gonna read my grandfather's story. Thank you. My grandfather Chiune had served in the foreign ministry since the 1920s as a diplomat. He was sent with his family in August 1939 to Kaunas, Lithuania, where he was charged with opening a consulate, but not a single Japanese citizen or business in the country at the time. Chiune was sent there effectively to gather information on surrounding countries. Just days after he arrived, Nazi Germany invaded Poland, triggering the start of World War II. Persecution of Polish Jews intensified and spread to neighboring nations, which, as we now know, led subsequently to outright genocide in the Holocaust. A huge number of Polish Jews flooded next door into neutral Lithuania. With Western Europe in the hands of Germany, the only way out for the terrified Jews was to the east. In order to gain permission from the Soviets to cross their territory, they came to Sugihara on the morning of July 18th in hopes of gaining a transit visa through Japan as a means of reaching a third nation. Sugihara awoke that morning to find hundreds of refugees at the consulate gates begging for his help, a number that soon climbed into the thousands. Taking sympathy for their plight, he cabled the foreign ministry in Tokyo repeatedly for urgent permission to grant massive volumes of transit visas, but was rejected on three occasions. Most of the refugees had little more than the clothes on their backs and did not remotely qualify for transit visas under Japanese regulations. Chiuna wrote later that he thought long and hot had for two days and two sleepless nights he was in Lithuania to serve his country and the order from his superiors was clear. At the same time, my grandmother recalls him saying that rejecting the refugees would be turning his back on God. Ultimately, with her consent, He's decided to ignore the ministry's explicit instructions and save the people before him, regardless of the potential consequences for himself and his family. From that point, he walked furiously to write as many visas as possible. The Soviets, which had recently occupied Lithuania, had ordered all foreign missions to shut down by the end of August. But Chiune, who spoke fluent Russian, managed to gain a special extension, during which he continued to devote himself to issuing the visas. In the last part, Chiuna walked to the last minute even after his ejection from the consulate, handing out visas in his hotel room and even from the train window, as he was leaving for his next posting in Berlin. He estimated in later years that he issued between 3,000 and 500 to 4,500 visas. Thank you so much. That 
image of Madoka, your grandfather, and Oriha, your great-grandfather, the, the image of him in the train leaving and handing out visas from that window has stayed with me always. I don't remember ever not knowing the story of Tiyonisugahara. It's a story that has always been told in my family. I have to say, I, I um, <laughs> um, it's very moving to me to hear you tell that story, knowing that there was no reason that uh, that Madoka that that your grandfather had to care about my grandparents. They were from such different backgrounds, such different worlds, and it's still stunning to me what he did. I wonder what were you told as a child about what your grandfather had done. Uh, my grandfather never said anything to me about it. I knew that he had served as a diplomat, but he was already working at a trading company in Russia and living in Moscow when I was a child. He died when I was 19, never having mentioned Lithuania in all those years. What memories do you have of your grandfather or of your grandmother? Uh, my grandfather had a rather reserved personality. He loved playing the piano and would play duets with me when I was a child. He had a number of Beethoven pieces that he enjoyed performing, and I treasured the moments when he would play them for me. I remember feeling a sort of sadness or loneliness in his playing. My grandmother used to complain that my grandfather was not strong at science. For instance, when his son got a fever and was given medicine to be taken three times a day, my grandfather would try to get him to take it all at once, <laughs> figuring that would cure him faster. My grandmother had a wide variety of interests. She practiced traditional no theater and wrote tanka poetry. She was also an expert at flower arrangement. It's now well recognized that your grandfather's story was heroic. But when you were growing up, did people consider the story heroic, or were there situations in which people reacted negatively? My grandmother recalled bitterly that some people suspected Chirne of accepting money from the Jews to write the visas, essentially accusing him of selling out his country. I wonder if my grandfather's reluctance to speak to us about his actions throughout his lifetime was related to this criticism. The members of my family who are alive because of your grandfather's visas, the group that came through Kaunas received three visas um, mm. sort of for the, the three groups within the family. And because of those three visas, there are now 
42 people alive in wow. my family who would not be alive if not for those visas. So that's 42 people from three visas. Mm -hmm. Your grandfather issued thousands of visas. Yeah. And the math is stunning to me. Do you know do you know the number of people altogether? I wonder maybe you have no way to know. Oh my god. That's <laughs> wow. It's estimated um, so not correct maybe, yeah. but around two hundred and fifty thousand. Can you tell us something about the contact you've had with survivor families? Do do people reach out to you? Okay. I'm gonna read as I am my mother. So, we have recently opened the Chiune Sugihara Senpo Museum, a facility in central Tokyo, dedicated to preserving my grandfather's legacy. Among a wide number of visitors from various nations, we have been delighted to welcome 10 groups of Sugihara survivors or their families. We have interviewed all these survivors. One big surprise for us is that nearly all the families say that their grandparents or parents never spoke of their experience. One survivor told us that he only learned of the Sugihara rescue when he spotted his grandfather's name in an exhibition at a Holocaust museum in the United States. Many of the survivors who have visited our museum have said that they have a coming hopes of gaining a deeper understanding of the incident. I heard an emotional story from one surviving family in Australia on a visit with my daughter two years ago. They told of a silver cutlery set that they had buried in Poland when they escaped. Learning of this, their children spoke with a Catholic family living in that Polish neighborhood who found the cutlery. The children then purchased the set from the family folk by folk, spoon by spoon, through money they earned it in part-time jobs until they acquired the whole set. They noted that this was the very cutlery we were using at that moment. It had their parents' initials engraved on it, and we were really surprised. Can you say something about the work you do to keep the story alive? As I mentioned, we operate a museum in central Tokyo, which we opened in March this year. We tell the story of the Holocaust and Chune's virtuous deeds. My daughter Oriha, who is studying film at graduate school, has been interviewing survivors and their families for a future documentary film on her great-grandfather. I find that right now, with everything going on in the world and the rise of extremism all around, People so often feel hopeless, uh, at least when I speak with m my friends in the United States. Uh, people feel powerless. I feel powerless. Uh, and then I tell myself, you're not allowed to feel powerless. <laughs> How can you let yourself feel, feel powerless? Look what one person did. And I think of your grandfather, uh, Enoria, your, your great-grandfather. I think of him and I, I tell myself, you're not allowed to feel powerless. And 
everywhere I go, when I speak on book tour, when I work through Voices Between, I tell the story of your grandfather. And I say, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself as much as I am speaking to, to whatever audience I'm talking to. I say, look what one person can do. So we all need to find the one thing that we can do, however big or small it is, and do it. There's no time for powerlessness. There's, there's, no, um, there's no excuse for me to let myself feel powerless. I want to ask uh, first, Madoka, what would you say to anyone who's considering taking a risk like your grandfather did in order to help others? Oh, yeah, could you please say? Thank you. Well, my grandfather's circumstances were unique. The world remains afflicted today by war and natural disaster. I think it is the mission of all people to help those in need, but whether this can be accomplished depends on strong will and determination. My grandfather did what he could for the refugees with whole awareness of the risk to himself, and he suffered for his actions in the end. He was able to overcome his reservations through powerful resolve. Our aim is simply to bring a greater awareness of my grandfather's deeds. We are not asking anyone to follow his example. Our only hope is that a knowledge of his actions will provide a possible guide for those facing difficult situations. If you could have a conversation with your grandparents about what's happening in the world today, what would you want them to know? In my grandfather's day, it took days to receive an answer to encoded cables, even in urgent communications. The world now is so much smaller and faster, and I would want to talk to him about the pluses and minuses of of this trend. Even after all these years, violent conflicts continue throughout the world, and persecution and discrimination remain rife. It's a tough theme. But I would like to ask my grandfather where he thinks the heart of today's problems lies. Ariha, I wanted to ask you, uh, if you don't mind, your last name is Sugahara. Mm-hmm. When people hear your name, do they ask you about the story? What do you tell them? Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, when I was an university student, uh, my one of my professor said, "Oh, Sugihara, it's the same name as Chiyune Sugihara," and I replied as, "Oh, it's my great grandfather." So my surname is Sugihara, and she was really surprised. So some people, when some people hear Sugihara as surname, they said, "Oh, it's the same name as Chiyune." Mm-hmm. It's like that, yeah. Yeah. Do you feel that the story of your great-grandfather has influenced choices you make in your own life? Since I was a child, I've been fascinated by the story. And the first time I heard of my great-grandfather's story and his action is when I was around five or six and I started reading his story by a Japanese history manga or the Nobel for Children. And after that, I had the opportunity to play my grandfather's role in musical. And I started thinking about 
telling stories of my great-grandfather. And after that, I, I had studied a little bit about the documentaries in television and film. I kind of felt that it's me who can tell his story, his kind of like personal story and the real story. And I had the opportunity to interview the survivors and they had opened their hearts when I asked questions, even it's hard one, you know, the worst story and their like real story is really tough one. So not everybody told their story to others, but they opened their heart to tell it to me. So I started interviewing them outside of Japan and inside of Japan, in Japan. So two years ago, I started doing that and accumulated interviews. And hopefully, I'd like to make it as one documentary film because a lot of people in Japan made uh, movies or news program or dramas about my great-grandfather, but they really don't know about what happened to the survivors, Sugihara survivors, and nobody did the kind of interviews perfectly. There's something that I wanted to circle back to because, Madoka, you referred to the price that your grandfather paid after the war, and I wondered if you could say what happened after the war. I'm sorry, I know... I know I didn't uh, the concentration concentration camp for one and a half year. After that, he returned to Japan, and uh, his uh, third son was died by leukemia. Soon, so, and they were very shocked at the time, and uh, his job was. Uh, Fired. Uh, could you please translate? Or we have. Uh, he was a ジェニーしたけれども、実はそれは表向きであって、ほとんどは、え、と、首になったっていうこと。あ、いるせいだ、he from like Bucharest concentration camp to Japan. But the truth is when he went back to the Japan and foreign ministry of affairs, uh, his seat was, wasn't there. So no post for him. And kind of a Japanese culture, they didn't say to directly like you should quit your job. It's like, 
the atmosphere in the office, they said there's no seat for you. So he decided to quit his job. Yeah. And, and for 10 years, he had to change so many jobs. Uh, he doesn't have a regular job and he working at a part-time job for 10 years. And after he started, uh, his age is uh, 60 years old. He started a trading company for 17 years. And he retired, his age 86 years old. So working, he had worked in oh, no, Moscow. No, he, oh, no, no. My grandfather started his job. His age is uh, 60 years old. And he working, he is, uh, he worked for 17 years and he retired 77 years old. So he had worked in Moscow. Yes. Trading company. Trading company. So they were interned in a camp at the end of the war? Yes. My understanding is that it took some of the survivors a while to find him, to thank him, because the name by which they knew him was, I think, a nickname. Was it Sempo? Mm-hmm. And I, my understanding is that some of the survivors who tried to find him after the war were using the wrong name. They didn't know his official name uh, and had trouble finding him. Am I right that it took a while for for the message to get to him, how grateful people were, how much difference he had made? Mm-hmm. Yes, right. When he, my grandfather issued the visa to refugee, Jewish refugee, so they would like to remember his name, Chune Sugihara, but his, the name Chune is a very difficult to remember and pronunciation. So he told his name is a simple, just uh, the Chune is a, so Japanese name has two types of reading style, and one way is a chiune, and the other way is a senpo, which a bit similar to the Chinese pronunciation, because the Japanese character coming from China, so he said senpo to them, they right. and then remember his name senpo Sugihara. So after the war, they went looking for him under that name. Yeah, yeah. And it took them a very long time to find him, to thank mm-hmm. him. Yeah. So when one of the refugees who had got the visa from June back then in Lithuania, he came to Japan and went to the uh, Japanese Foreign Ministry of Affairs and their office and asked, uh, where is Senpo Sugihara? And he was the con- Japanese consulate around this time in Lithuania. And that time there is one Japanese person who was the Japanese consulate who is, of course, Chiyune Sugihara. But so they should have known that Senpo is a Chiune, but they said just no, we don't know him. 
So that is the story and why they took a lot of time to find him. What do you think ordinary people can do today to carry on the spirit of what your grandfather and your great-grandfather did? Um, I think my grandfather's resoluteness in reaching and carrying out his bold decision was unusual for the times. Few people had the courage or strength or character to act in the face of the ongoing persecution of the Jews. I think Chune's story shows that even ordinary citizens can take extraordinary action if they have the will. My grandfather said in an interview that he did only what anyone would have done in similar circumstances. He considered himself a very ordinary person. An extraordinary, ordinary person. I'm so grateful to have this conversation with you. Is there anything you would want people to know, to know about you or to know about the work you're doing? <laughs> He's looking <laughs> for his treat, yes. Oh, I need to see him. He cannot. So, I wish all the people to come our museum. So to to uh, to run my grandfather did. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm hoping I'll be able to visit in person this year. Uh, we can thank you talk more about that. Then. <laughs> but I um I hope to be there this year as well. I'm so grateful to you for taking the time to talk. And, uh, and for everything you're doing. I said in my essay some years ago that I couldn't find the words. Honestly, I still can't find the words. But I know what it does to, to my heart to speak to you and to see you. So thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you for having us today. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to The Creative Conversations, a production of Voices Between, Stories Against Extremism. To learn more about our work, please visit our website at storiesforsociety.com. Oh, my dog is coming. (laughs) (laughs) I need to meet your dog. (laughs) He got around. What people can't can't see on the podcast is that uh, we can see each other, and um, hopefully I'll get to see your dog. Okay, so... (laughs) Oh my god, he's adorable. Wait, what's his name? Uh his name is Dash, like running. Uh-huh. Dash? Oh. He's 14 years old. He's like, very old. 